question historians love to ask. It's a question sports fans love to ask. What if he'd have been able to stay fit? We'd have won the season. It's a question we like to ask in our own lives. What if? And the question, what if, is the backbone of every time travel movie plotline. I don't know if you're into the time travel genre. You're going to get a taste of it in just a second. But that's the basic plotline, isn't it? Someone travels back in time to either make sure a certain event happens or to make sure a certain event doesn't happen. And the plot usually pans out. This is what the world would look like if this thing happened. And this is what the world would look like if it doesn't. And that's the motivation for the plotline. A great example is Back to the Future. Oh, we've gone double. Back to the Future. Marty McFly. That's not a nickname I'm happy to receive, by the way. Uh, I would really appreciate it if that didn't stick. Marty McFly travels back in his DeLorean to make sure that his parents meet. Shoots back in time because if they don't, he wouldn't exist. If his parents don't meet and fall in love, there's no Marty McFly. The plot line of Back to the Future is if you've seen the next one, Terminator, the 1980s weren't done with time travel. This time, Arnie goes back to kill Sarah Connor to make sure that there's no John Connor. Because if there's no John Connor, there's no opposition to Skynet, and the, the aliens, ro- uh, not the aliens, the robots run free. The question's what if? Arnie goes back to try and change the if of history. Next one. We've moved out of the 80s, a bit more recent. The X-Men franchise went there. Days of Future Past. Wolverine, Hugh Jackman sent back. If he can stop the Sentinels in history, the future looks very different. Next one, if you're not into sci-fi, which is okay. Sliding Doors. Uh, some of you will have seen this film. Don't feel too ashamed. You should be a little bit ashamed that you've seen this film, but I've seen it too. Uh, Sliding Doors, Gwyneth Paltrow. The story is about what if. There's two plot lines that carry through the movie. One based on if she catches the train. The other plot line, if she doesn't. And it's two radically different stories based on one if. Perhaps the daddy of what if movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, if you've not seen this film, that really is bad. Uh, please, please watch it by the end of this week. Otherwise, this summer is not going to make too much sense to you. Uh, the question, what if, is the shape of It's a Wonderful Life. If you've never seen it, uh, this individual, George Bailey, played by the great James Stewart, comes to the moment in his life where he asks the question, I wish I'd never been born. And actually he gets to see the world if he'd never been born. That wish is granted and so George Bailey and us, the viewer, gets to see what the world would be like if he'd never been born. And the world looks very different, just one if, one person. And it's a very powerful image. George is changed by it. And actually for us as viewers it's powerful. We're moved by It's a Wonderful Life. That's why we watch it every Christmas and realize something about our own existence. The question, what if, is a thought-provoking one, right? But this pattern of asking what if and then looking at the world if something hadn't happened is what Psalm 124 does. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it and turn to Psalm 124. It's on page 63 if you're using a church Bible. And the psalmist uses this same tool of traveling back in time changing one if and using the picture of the world if to provoke something within him before we read that together why don't I pray for us let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and look at your word Father we were reminded this morning of the danger of pride and we're going to be reminded tonight that you are the one who gets all the glory 
So Father, that's our prayer for this evening, that as your word is preached, and as your people are transformed by you speaking to them, that you would get all of the glory. And we ask this in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's read together Psalm 124 on page 623. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Really quick explanation of where we're going to go tonight. We're going to look first of all at verses 1 to 5, this kind of world if. And then we're going to see what that does to the psalmist and see what that can do for us as we sing and pray this psalm together. So let's flip back to the start of the psalm. Verse 1 starts off with the big if. If the Lord had not been on our side. That's the big if. That's the time travel question of Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side. It's one change. This sense of on our side communicates both the fact that God is with and for, right? It's not just that he's with them and indifferent. He's with them and for them. And the question is, what if he hadn't been that kind of God? What if Israel didn't have a covenant God who was theirs for them, acting for them? And then David paints this picture of what that world would have looked like. And he especially wants to think about one moment when enemies attack. So he's going to travel back and look at what the world would have looked like if the Lord had not been on their side at the moment enemies attacked. Uh, This psalm is written by David, uh, who we read a story of later. He was a person familiar with military conflict. He had many enemies. He fought many battles. But he doesn't write this just thinking about one occasion. Do you see that in verse 1? This isn't just David off the back of one battlefield making up a song. He says, let Israel say, verse 1. It's way more broad than one event, and it's way more broad than just David. This is a song for God's covenant people to sing as they reflect on the many occasions when Israel faced opposition. Uh, Israel had many foes over many decades, and they went through many battles. So this is a song for them to sing about numerous events, right? They can look back at a load of history and ask this question and think about the picture that David paints. So that's what he displays in verse 3 and 5, and we're going to pull it apart. He really just uses four pictures in verses 3 to 5 to show what the world would have been like for Israel if the Lord had not been on their side. So we're just going to pull those apart and think about what they mean. Uh, They're pretty uh, intense and evocative. That's not an embellishment. This is the reality of what it would have been like. So if we bring up the first one, we're going to see four would-haves. first one we see in verse 3, if the Lord had not been on our side, when men attacked us, middle of verse 3, they would have swallowed us alive. The enemies that David and Israel faced were often much bigger than them, much more powerful, much more fierce, 
much more intent on their destruction. And David says, if it wasn't for the Lord being on our side, they'd have eaten us alive in one bite, like a massive beast devouring a tiny prey. They'd have been eaten alive. They wouldn't have even taken two bites at Israel. Yump, gone. They'd have been eaten alive. That's the picture of what would have happened to Israel, swallowed up. And often this picture of swallowing up represents being swallowed up in death. They had just been consumed in death in one fell swoop. That's the if the Lord had not been on their side. That's the first picture he paints. And then he moves on to paint three more pictures. And he uses water for all three of them. Do you see that repetition of water, flood, torrent, raging waters? And water's really being used as a picture for what the enemies would have done. Water can be an extremely powerful, destructive force, right? Israel knows that. They live in a floodplain. They could tell you exactly what it looks like when a flood shows up. Total annihilation. But we know what the power of water can do, right? We've seen post-tsunami pictures of places, post-flood images. And so David's going to use the power of water as a destructive force to describe what would have happened to Israel. So let's look at those three things really quickly. The first one, and the second would have, the flood would have engulfed us. Picture of a flood, massive body of water coming in suddenly, swamps over the whole thing and just consumes it. That's what the enemies would have done. These enemies that were stronger and smarter and better would have just swamped in and they'd have been ruined. Swallowed up, engulfed. Second picture, the next one along of water. This time the torrent would have swept over us. Picture this time of being swept over. The enemies would have just demolished them and then just moved on. They would just rushed through. Can you imagine that water just rushing through? It doesn't stop. It doesn't slow down to defeat Israel. It just plows through them. Just wrecked. That's what the enemies would have done to Israel. If. And the final one, raging waters. Sweep them away. So they've been swallowed up engulfed, swept over, and now swept away. The whole of Israel would have been like some sort of shanty town in a tsunami. Nothing left. You could have gone to look and there wouldn't have been so much as a Israel was here written on the wall because there would be no walls. That's what the enemies would have done to Israel. Nothing left, no remnant. Not so much as writing on the wall. So these pictures all put together make a kind of composite picture of a past without God. If the Lord had not been on our side, this is what it would have been. Swallowed, engulfed, swept over, swept away. That's what it would have been for Israel. When they faced opposition, this is what would have happened to them. It's a pretty bleak and stark picture, isn't it? That's total destruction. There's no doubt. This would have been what happened if the Lord had not been on their side. Now, why does David ask that question? He just sat there writing psalms, as David often did. Why does he do this thing, right? Why does he ask the question, if the Lord had not been on our side, and then paint this picture of total destruction? Why does he go there? What point does it make? Well, the point it makes is that as Israel stands there and sings this together, still a people, remembering a history that's very different from this, they only reach one conclusion, right? It's a pretty obvious piece of logic to say, if the Lord had not been on our side, this would have happened. Is that what happened? No. We're still here. We're a people. Actually, 
David's just coming out of this situation with the Philistines where he was delivered. They won. They didn't get swallowed up. The enemy got swallowed up. And so there's only one conclusion to make from verses 1 to 5. The Lord has been on our side. That's what Israel are concluding. Off the back of verses 1 to 5, the Lord has definitely been on our side. There is no if about the matter, right? If they were tempted to ponder, oh, I'm not sure if God's on our side. There's no if about it. Here's what it would look like if he wasn't. That's not the way it is. That's the point being made in verses 1 to 5. It shows them vividly a God who acts to deliver them. A God of clear care for them. But this tool of thinking about what it would have looked like if God didn't, and then starting to compare it with what has happened, if God has acted for them, begins to stir stuff up in them. It's way more powerful than just saying, remember what God did. If I just say, oh, remember what happened then? It's pretty hard to do that, isn't it? It's pretty hard to stir ourselves up and just saying, remember what the Lord did for you. It's way more powerful than that in Psalm 124. It's imagine what had happened if he didn't. Let's go there and look at that. And as they look at that, the darkness of this picture of the world, if the Lord wasn't on their side, makes the brightness of the world with the Lord on their side shine. The reality of God with them becomes bold and beautiful as they look at what the world would have looked like if he hadn't. That's what's happening here. It's just like in A Wonderful Life, right? George Bailey looks at the world if he'd never been born. We look at it with him. And at the end of the movie, he is a stirred man, right? Do you remember the scene? Sprinting through the snow, can't wait to get home to the house he used to complain about, the family he used to complain about. And he's just sprinting back, full of joy and appreciation for the life that he's actually had having seen the life if he hadn't been born. That's exactly what's happening to David and to Israel as they sing this psalm. Verses 1 to 5 stir up verses 6 to 8. It's a George Bailey moment. They see the beauty of the life that has been in the face of the ugliness of the life that could have been. That's the Psalm 124 technique. Picturing a past without him makes us praise him for a past with him. It provokes that praise. It promotes that praise. That's the tool that's being used in Psalm 124 as they look at this dark reality. That's what happens to Israel, right? They get George Bailey, and then suddenly this verses 6 to 8 thing just explodes out of them. Let's read that again, verses 6 to 8. Having seen what could have been, knowing that what has been is so different, this is what they say. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth we have escaped like a bird out of the foulest snare the snare has been broken and we have escaped our help is in the name of the Lord the maker of heaven and earth this picture of a past without him has provoked promoted this new praise for him verses 1 to 5 fuels verses 6 to 8 verses 1 to 5 almost preaches to the heart of verses 6 to eight, and they get stirred up by it. They reflect pretty joyfully. This is a great song if you're an Israelite struggling to get in the mood on the Psalms of Ascent, right? Everybody else is singing as we go up to Jerusalem to be with God, and you're just not in that place, struggling for motivation, feeling apathetic, feeling worn out, not really in the singing mood. Psalm 124 stirs up itself as they sing it, Actually, this picture helps provoke those who are struggling to praise to do so. If you're not feeling like it, think about what the world could have been if. 
That's what's happening to Israel as they sing this song. That's why it's a helpful song to sing, right? As they journey up to God, which is a context for this section of Psalms. They get elation in what God has done. We see in uh, 1, 2, 4 in those verses in 6 to 8, two new pictures of not what could have been, but what, have, what has been, right? Firstly, he has not let us be torn by their teeth. Another picture of just being shredded up by their enemies. That hasn't happened. Why hasn't it happened? Who has not let us? God didn't let it happen. The Lord has been on our side. He has been at work. Next image is this of a, of a bird escaping from a fowler's snare. There were situations where Israel was completely trapped. They got cornered. David gets cornered. There's people that plot against them and they get them in all these kind of ensnaring situations. And the reality is they've not just been saved in battles they could have gone into, but they've been rescued from situations. This is total rescue, isn't it? And think about it. Which is stronger, a snare or a bird? The snare, right? The snare holds the bird. The bird is powerless. Which is smarter, the fowler who traps the bird or the bird who gets trapped by the fowler? The fowler is smarter, right? The picture here isn't that Israel were great and got themselves out of it. The picture here is that there was people smarter and stronger, but the Lord was smarter and stronger than both. That's the picture. He has broken it. The Lord has been on their side. That's what they're being asked to consider. God has definitely rescued his people. That's what they're, they're able to get to. And then as they, they ponder on this, as they think about how with and for the Lord has been, they praise God. And I think they praise God in three ways in verses 6 to 8. I think God's being glorified in three ways in verses 6 to 8. One in each verse. So we'll pull those apart if we click on to the next one. So the first one, in verse 6, they just directly praise him for what he's done, right? They get together, they worship him, they sing his praise, they pray his praise, they just worship him. That's the first style of praising God. This picture has made them praises. I think I've made that point now, oh, haven't I? I can stop using peas. So, okay, I'm running out. So that's how they worship God the first time. They just declare his greatness. And actually, the darkness has made the greatness look better, right? The scale of the enemy has made the scale of God's glory even higher. The darker it got and the greater the rescue, the more praise they're able to give, right? That's why it's helpful to consider just how dark it would have been if. It helps us see the greatness of what he's done all the more clearly. And so they praise him. Second, second way in which they praise him is in verse 7. Now think about how this is praised. Let's read it again. Look with me at verse 7. We have escaped like a bird. Out of the foulest snare, the snare has been broken, and we have escaped. I think the second way they glorify God in the next slide, in verse 7, is they make much of his gift. Their enjoyment of being free glorifies their rescuer, right? As they just say, we're like a bird. We were in a snare and now we're free. The whole sky is ours. That's glorifying to God. The enjoyment of his gift, the enjoyment of his freedom glorifies him. As that bird flies away, it's freer, it's glorified, right? As it watches it fly away and just enjoy the whole sky. That's glorifying to the rescuer. So just by making much of their freedom, by, by dancing and singing, we have escaped, we have escaped. By them enjoying their freedom, God is glorified. Third way 
in verse 8. They glorify God by continuing in reliance and recognition of him. Do you see that pressing forward? Verses 1 to 7 has all been consideration of the past, right? And then by looking at what could have been, but what has been, that stirs them up to trust God all the more for the right now. Trusting God, relying on him, and recognizing him presently is worship. It is glorifying to God what is said in verse 8. By people saying, our help right now is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. By them acting in that hope, God is glorified. It's not just the singing of verse 6. It's not just the elation of verse 7. The commitment of verse 8 glorifies God as they recognize the one who has been our help is still our help. Trusting him presently brings glory to God. And so if we pull those three things together, what does this sum up to? Praising him, making much of him, reliance on him. In Psalm 124, God is greatly glorified. God is glorified in Psalm 124. And God has worked in a way by letting them become trapped, by letting them face enemies, but by being their rescuer and deliverer, and by them resultingly praising him in these three ways, he is greatly glorified. God is glorified by this threefold worship. That's what's happened in Psalm 124. Again, we see God's name being used specifically, as we saw last week, four times in this psalm, Lord, 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 Lord. And then in verse 8, it's even said that the name of the Lord is where their help is at. So again, there's this emphasis on their covenant God, the Lord, who's given them his name, who said, I will be yours and you'll be mine. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Do you see that what ha- what's actually happened to their enemies is what their enemies were trying to do to them? The enemies are trying to swallow them up. What happened to the enemy? They got swallowed up. They tried to engulf God, engulf them. That language is used of what the Lord does to his enemies in the Old Testament. It's an amazing thing that they start to work out that their covenant God, who's been their rescuer, is the very same one and only Lord of all things. Their covenant God is the creator of all things, who has worked in history for Israel by not letting things be like the what if, but by working things the way that they worked out, by giving them his name, by rescuing them, God is glorified. Even the greatness of the enemies glorifies God, right? The higher the challenge, the more God is glorified in Psalm 124. Fierce enemies result in fierce praise in Psalm 124. So that's Psalm 124. That's the basic process of it. Picturing a pastor without him provokes praise for him. Pretty simple line to remember, right? It's a helpful psalm for God's people, but it's equally helpful for us as God's people. As we, like we've been saying through this whole series, journey towards the Lord in our lives, this process of picturing a past without him helps us praise him. There's things that would stop us being praiseful, right? And stop us doing verse 8 by putting our hope in the Lord right now, saying he's our help today. Maybe you're here tonight and you really struggle with being apathetic. Pretty hard to want to be a singer at half six on a Sunday night. Maybe you just feel uninspired and ungrateful for what the Lord has done. It's hard to remember that in a fresh way. 
I know the Lord Jesus has died for me, that's wonderful, but I'm just struggling to think about that in a way which freshly makes me want to praise him. Maybe you're struggling with wanting to find help elsewhere. Present trust is a challenge because there's tough things going on. Maybe you're struggling just to be joyful in the Lord. You see all this joy in the Lord, joy in the Lord language in the Bible, and you don't feel it. Maybe you struggle with anxiety, right? Maybe you're a worrier. Maybe you don't think about the what-if of the past, but you spend all your time thinking about the what-ifs of tomorrow. Oh, what if this happens? What if that? Oh, but what if that's late? What if I miss the bus? Oh. Maybe you spend all of your life doing that. Maybe there's real reasons for you to worry. But actually, I think this psalm, this pattern of picturing a past without him, seeing that the past has been so different from that, is helpful for us, as it was helpful for Israel. So we're just going to spend a little bit of time doing that for us. We could do that at a massive level. We could do that at a personal level. If we thought about the whole of church history, church has been around for 2,000 years as God's people. If we look back over church history and ask the question, if the Lord had not been on our side, it's a different story. That is a different story. The church, like Israel, has had many enemies, right? Persecution from day one, pretty much. Political enmity, other philosophies that would challenge its worldview, heresies that were challenged to creep into the church. We could go on and on about the enemies of the church. Let's face it, if the Lord hadn't been on the side of his people, the church, they wouldn't have made it out of the first century. Let alone Charlotte Chapel 2015. Wouldn't have happened. So many events So we could say, if the Lord wasn't on our side, would there have been a reformation? If the Lord hadn't been on the side of the church in South Korea when all the missionaries were kicked out, would there still be Christians? No, there wouldn't. Are there? Yeah, there's tons. The Lord has been on their side. He is on the side of his people. We can work out the same thing. It can stir us up to the same kind of praise, right? If we picture the whole of church history asking if he hadn't, if he hadn't, if he hadn't. It reveals the greatness of what he's done and is doing. We could do that at a more personal level. We could say that for Charlotte Chapel. 200 years of this church. Would it have happened if? No. Not a chance. We could ask that at a really personal level. Maybe there's stories and situations in your own life where you look back and know, know that the Lord was at work. You know that he delivered you from certain circumstances. Maybe it would be helpful for you this week as an exercise to stir up praise in your heart for the Lord to just go back over however long you've lived and say, what if? It might be scary. It probably will be terrifying. It'll be terrifying for me. But actually, when we see that, we see what he's done, we just want to praise. And it's going to help us praise in all of those three ways, right? It's going to serve our worship, serve our joy, and serve our confidence for tomorrow. Maybe if we looked at the church and Christians, there's one big ultimate if that we would have to ask. There's one victory over the greatest of foes and the greatest of captivities that if the Lord had not been on our side, there would have been no delivery. What if the Lord had not been on our side in sending his son, the Lord Jesus? What if? If we picture a past for the church as a past for us as individuals where the Lord hadn't acted and been on our side in the Lord Jesus what would that look like 
There was definitely enemies, right? Satan, sin and death for a kickoff. Enemies. And I think the language of Psalm 124 helps depict to us really clearly what what it would have been like if the Lord had not been on our side. Think about the language that we saw before, that composite picture of swallowed up, engulfed, swept over, swept away, torn by teeth, trapped in a snare. Think about that with our enemies of Satan, sin and death, right? How Satan described, prowling like a lion, looking to devour, to swallow up. What does death do? It swallows us up. What are we in sin? We're trapped. Like a bird in a snare, we can't break it. We keep sinning, we keep sinning. We're trapped in our own rebellion. We're trapped in the deception of Satan from Eden. He's the fowler. He's trapped us up in the snare of sin and death. We're like that bird, we can't get out. We're like Israel if the Lord hadn't been on our side. But in sin and death. We've been totally engulfed by the consequences of what we've done, by our guilt, by the death that our sin merits. That's where we are without the Lord Jesus. That's why the New Testament keeps referring to if you hadn't been saved, here's where you were. Dead in trespasses and sins. Trapped in the dominion of darkness. Following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Like the rest. Objects of wrath. The New Testament uses this too, right? Reminds us of where we've been. And reminds us of where we still could have been. If the Lord Jesus had not stepped onto the scene of human history. If he hadn't have been on our side. Amazingly, if we think about that life, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, picture that, picture what the Lord has done in Jesus, and then read verses 6 to 8 again. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by the teeth of Satan's sin and death. Like a bird, we have escaped from the foul of Satan's snare. The snare of sin and death has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth. Ultimate delivery has come in the Lord Jesus. And picturing what could have been if he hadn't helps us worship him right now. If you're really struggling to stir that up in your own heart, if you just feel flat about it, if you struggle with worrying about tomorrow, remembering what the Lord has done, seeing the contrast between the world without and the world with his aid, makes me want to praise the Lord. Makes me want to trust him today and for tomorrow. Makes me really joyful. This picture provokes praise. If we said before that the the scale of the enemies of Israel makes the scale of God's rescue look even more glorious, think about the scale of our peril, right? The greater the peril, the sweeter the delivery, the more joyful the delivered. This was the greatest peril there has ever been, the greatest snare there ever was, and the Lord Jesus has destroyed it. Like we do in verses 6 to 8, it's helpful for us to remember how the Lord has done that. The world that actually has been, that Jesus came and defeated Satan's sin and death through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He broke sin and death by taking our sin on himself, by bearing the punishment for it, by taking death on himself. 
Colossians says that he robbed Satan of his power and just made him laughable by his victory at the cross. And then he defeats sin and death ultimately by rising from the dead. Death's death's power is broken because there's a guy alive right now who was dead in a grave, stone rolled in front of it, and now his heart is beating. Death is dead. Death, the thing that swallowed us all up, has been swallowed up by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This is what we believe. This is what has been. It's not the would have, it's the has been. Now we're free. Through our union with Jesus... We're free from sin and death and the lies of the evil one. That's what we're free from. And we're called to enjoy that freedom. To like that bird just soar out of it. Let those wings of salvation spread wide. I think we're called to worship God exactly the same as verses 6 to 8 in that threefold way. I think we're called to lift him up and worship the resurrected Lord Jesus for his deliverance. For all the ifs that weren't, we worship the Lord. I think we're called as well to just elate in what he has done. I think we're called to make much of this gift. And we do that not by returning to sin, not by going back to the snare, but by living in righteousness. In living in joy and relationship with God. In that snare, we had no relationship with God. Now we have him. How do you make much of and glorify God? Enjoy your relationship with him. Spend some time with him. Spend some time enjoying him. Enjoying freedom from sin by putting it to death. Enjoy your freedom by listening to this morning's sermon and putting your pride to death. That's freedom. That's the bird free from the snare. That's what we can do in the Lord Jesus. And as we do that, God is glorified. And finally, we can worship the Lord, bring him praise in a Psalm 124 way by our continued commitment to him. I trust in the Lord right now by saying my help right here in this very room, my hope right here in this very room is the Lord Jesus. And I recognize him as a sovereign God over all things who made them all and who rules over them all and stunningly is redeeming that creation. That's where my help is right now. That's where my help is when I'm struggling with my anxiety. When I'm worrying about the what ifs of tomorrow, I say no, no, no. The Lord has been on our side. And he is my help right now. God is glorified by that. If you're not yet a Christian, I think you've seen a picture tonight of what your life really is like. Of where you're at. You're trapped. If I was to set you the challenge of not sinning and not dying, you couldn't do it. You're caught in that snare. And you're facing those consequences. The amazing thing is, your story can take a different turn. Your life doesn't have to be the if the Lord was not on your side. Your life can be the story of the Lord on your side. And if you don't know how sweet that would be, grab a Christian afterwards and talk to them about what life with the Lord on your side looks like. Look at what it was for Israel. Look at what it is for the church. Maybe the best thing for you to do tonight is for the first time say, my help in my sin, facing death, is the name of the Lord Jesus, which I call on for salvation. That's how we make much of God. That's how God has chosen to glorify himself in this world, by giving his name, the name of his one and only son, the Lord Jesus, that people might be freed. God glorifies himself. That's the aim and end of this psalm. 
And so let's pray and glorify God for what he's done. Let's pray.